0: Hey there, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with Accessibility Sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 19, Apple's Full Accessibility Plate. Hey, we have a really great show for you today, recorded live on the scene at the Worldwide Developers Conference in San Jose last week. I had the great pleasure of getting a chance to talk to Sarah Herlinger, who is Apple's Director of Accessibility Policy and Initiatives. Sarah sat down with me at the Apple Podcast Studio at WWDC and told me a lot about what's new in accessibility for all of Apple's platforms. It was a really big week for accessibility at Apple, as you saw not only uh, if you were looking and paying attention, but if you listened to the keynote, if you went to the State of the Union event, there was so much accessibility. And um, I feel like this is one of the best years accessibility has had in terms of visibility and actual content of products Uh, in a long, long time. So it was really great to be a part of that and to get to talk with Sarah about it. I had another reason for wanting to talk to Sarah because this happens to be June 2019, the 10th anniversary of when accessibility features first came to the iOS platform. So before 2009, the iPhone did not have voiceover and invert colors and mono audio and Zoom, which are the features that were announced in 2009. But June 8th, 2009, Phil Schiller gets up on stage near the end of a very long keynote he spends a little time showing the brand new accessibility settings screen in iOS. And he tells us that there are several new accessibility features. And that changed the world for a group of people who aren't always seen or heard very much. But it was a, it was a very important, very big day. And I wanted to talk to Sarah about what that was like from Apple's perspective. But I also have a bigger project in mind. And that is an audio documentary about that time, about how the addition of accessibility to iOS changed everything, changed people's lives, changed the way they use their devices. It was a pretty big deal in the lives of a lot of people that I knew and still know uh, who use accessibility. And so the documentary is called 36 Seconds That Changed Everything. It will be released in about a week, June 19th, 2019, which is the 10th anniversary of the iPhone 3GS, the first accessible iPhone being released in the United States. So without further ado, let's get on to my interview with Sarah Herlinger, recorded live at the Apple Podcast Studio at WWDC. Here we go. This is Shelley Brisbane, live at WWDC 2019, and I have a very special guest on Parallel today. I'm talking with Sarah Herlinger, who is the Director of Global Accessibility Policy and Initiatives for Apple. Hi, Sarah. Hey. I'm so glad to have you on Parallel. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here, especially with you because you have such a long tenure at Apple and in accessibility, and so I wanted to start with some of the history of accessibility. As a lot of people might know, this is the 10th anniversary of accessibility coming to iOS, June 19, 2009, to be exact, is when the 3GS, the first accessible via voiceover uh, and a few other things, uh, iPhone, was available. So to commemorate that, I wanted to take Sarah back a little bit and ask her something about how accessibility came to the iPhone and, and sort of the... The history part. Um, so uh, I, when I've been talking to people about this topic, and of course the, the users of accessibility tools on iOS are just, they're ecstatic, they're happy, they were, they're, they've were they benefited so much from this technology. And I asked them a lot about how they came to it. And a number of them were Mac users back when accessibility came to Tiger in 2004 and then going forward. But there was also a lot of resistance in the accessibility community to uh, apple as an accessibility provider there was some mistrust there and i guess i wonder first off what your memories are of that time when mac os was the platform and voiceover was the accessibility tool and maybe it didn't have quite the acceptance in the community uh, that it does today
1: well i think um, you no know, our goal all the way from the start has been to create great products that are accessible to everyone you know, in every opportunity where we find there's someone who might not be able to use our technology for one reason or another, um, the team's goal is to try and fix that. And, um, you know, when we started doing it with a the Mac, the, the idea was how do we make it simple and intuitive and, and just built right in so that um, you didn't need additional elements, additional software, anything at all, and just make it work. And I think, um, you know, as we transitioned into iOS... Um, that's something that we knew we wanted to do as well Is we were looking at touchscreens as a um, a, sort of the, the the form factor for iPhone. Um, We didn't want to leave people behind. Um, You know, technology is a a, a great tool for um, so many people in terms of their communication and collaboration and independence and everything else. And so it was important to us to know that we were building something that, that worked for everyone. So, um, to try and and get voiceover built in as quickly as possible and make it something that um, that really changed the way people saw technology, the way they worked with it.
0: But there was that period between iPhone release in 2007 and 2009 where accessibility wasn't available. Was the team working on that all along? Was it an intention from the beginning?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I I would say our goal was always to make sure that we could make technology accessible to everyone. So um, as as we were, you know, in the early stages of working on iPhone, um, we put this as our moonshot to to make it accessible to all. So you didn't know exactly when it would happen, but the
0: goal was it would become accessible as soon as possible, right? And, and then did you have in mind all of the accessibility features, well, the main accessibility features that came to iPhone eventually, or was it was voiceover the main focus initially?
1: Um, Well, I think with, you know, as time's gone by and we have um, spent more time working in the touchscreen world, certainly uh, new features or things that we may not have had uh, initially on our radar on day one are things that we have solved for, you know, in these 10 years. Um, But I think we... You know, we've, we've always looked at accessibility as not a single thing or a single community. You know, there's no blunt object that solves it for everyone. So we've looked at um, at, at really trying to be thoughtful and in, in making it work for as many different types of use cases as possible.
0: What was the accessibility team, especially for iOS, like in those early days? Was it a lot smaller? How were things developed? How did you interact with the rest of the development teams i'm just curious of sort of what it, what it felt like to be in that environment at that time
1: um well the team you know a lot of the team is still here so uh it's a, a group of dedicated individuals who um really passionately just believe in making great technology and um being super creative in how they do it um so i think you know we certainly work with engineering teams and, and engineering teams who do a lot of the the work on their own. You know, obviously, this is something that as a, a core corporate value of Apple's, we see people all over the company who commit to, um, to really doing everything they can to make our products accessible. But in terms of the team itself, um, you know, our, our main goal in that time frame was to create groundbreaking assistive technology um, that would work across everything that we do. And how did you get that done? How did you interact with the people
0: that were going to be your users at that time? Was it, was it much different than it is today?
1: Um, No, I think we've always had the, the concept of nothing about us without us as part of what we do. So um, at that time there were individuals who were members of the community who were working on the development of the, of our assistive technology um, as it was being built. And, um, we continue to do so. I mean, when you look at things like our accessibility at apple.com email address, it's been around for 15 years. You know, we've been trying to um, make sure that we have a dialogue with our community and communities um, for many, you know, or really, you know, as long as we possibly can and in as many ways as we can and, and to keep that dialogue going. So, um, you know, we've worked with groups, with um, individuals, and really, I think, you know, in that initial development, it was making sure that there were people internally who were daily users of uh, screen readers in order to be able to, to to do it right. It seems like you have incredible longevity on the team. I know that when I hear
0: the name of somebody who works in accessibility, the next thing I hear is how long that they've they been at Apple, that they still are
1: there. What do you account for that? Um, well, I think we are all very committed to to the cause, um, you know, committed to making great technology that works for everyone. And I think part of that is, um, it's some of the most creative work that you can do, you know, to, so even just as an engineer who looks at accessibility as a, a project, um, I think we we work to do really amazing, groundbreaking work. And that takes, it it really pushes the limits. So as an engineer, I think they're fabulous projects to tackle. Um, But I think that this, you know, our team really passionately wants to to make technology that works for everyone. You know, they strongly believe in what we're doing. And so there is a lot of longevity because people know that um, they can really do their best work and be supported for it. So let's talk about that that
0: day when the iPhone 3GS, when I, iPhone 3.0 and then the iPhone 3GS became accessible. It was at the very end of a long WWDC keynote. And I know how, what the reaction was out in the community, but I, I guess I'm wondering how your team was feeling at that moment.
1: <laughs> um, a lot of excitement. Uh, I think, you know, in doing something that was so new, um, wanting to make sure that people understood what the goal was and, um, and that they would embrace it. Um, you know, we, we believed strongly in what we were doing. Um, but obviously it does take the community engaging and, um, and, and really, you know, liking it really, um, moving forward with it. And, and so I think for, um, day one, probably a little bit of, um, sort of holding our breath and then, thankfully very quickly the uh people did start to download the beta and try it out and and use it and um we got a great response
0: were you surprised by either the level or the kind of response that you got
1: um no i think we were you know we were just really thankful um you know we really had wanted to do something extraordinary and we were super thankful that the community um, really did embrace it. What are some of the highlights
0: from your point of view of accessibility in in the on the iOS platform over the past ten years?
1: Gosh, um, well, I think you know, along with VoiceOver, two of the things that I think we did that that really fall into that revolutionary category, um, but in other areas are switch control. Um, you know, switch control is a feature that allows individuals with uh, very extreme physical motor limitations to um, be able to use our technology. So you know, in the same way that voiceover became a, a way by which you could um, use a touch screen without having to see the screen, um, switch control became a way to use the touch screen if you were never going to actually touch the touch screen. Um, and, and that's really I think opened up um, a lot of, of uh, opportunity for um, individuals who are um, who are not touchscreen users. Um, the other one is made for iPhone hearing aids, which with you know, hearing loss uh, being such a, a huge issue in the world and, and the number of hearing aid wearers that are out there, um, you know we, we really saw a, a place there where, A lot of hearing aid wearers had given up using cell phones because or making phone calls because the experience was just not a good one. So to be able to really change the way, you know, the quality of sound and the way in which someone who's a hearing aid wearer uses um, their cell phone and are, are able to communicate with family and friends and listen to music and watch movies and do all those things that maybe they didn't believe were still something that was a part of their lives. Um, that's been a really amazing thing to see how much, you know, how many made for iPhone hearing aids are out there now and how much the the industry and the community has really embraced the concept.
0: Have there been any particular challenges either in terms of the way something that you did with accessibility was responded to, or something that you wanted to try that maybe took a while longer, just, just things that you worked on that you perhaps over, perhaps eventually overcame or perhaps found a way around?
1: Um, you know, I think, uh, the, the, the biggest thing for us is finding sort of that, that sweet spot around, um, solving a problem and making sure that we do it right. And so sometimes I I think it's more for us about, um, taking time to make sure that something is ready to go and then, um, getting it out there and then, you know, paying attention to the, the response that we get and, in order to ensure that we, you know, we tweak where tweaks are needed or uh, that, that we, you know, continue to to make changes to make it, uh, it work better and better. You know, we, we don't ever really see accessibility as something where you check the box and finish. It's always an ongoing process. And I think that's an, a really important part of, of how everyone should view accessibility is it's a, you know, it's a never-ending um, opportunity to, to do more great work.
0: I guess just to close out on the sort of historical part of the conversation, I wonder if there are any uh, anecdotes or stories you can remember from the past 10 years of iOS accessibility, either about experiences like what we're we're, we're here for today, uh, keynote and showing off products or internally, just uh, just anything interesting that you you might want to share with folks.
1: Oh, good question. Um, Should have prepped you for that one, perhaps. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think of, of, you know, I think it's, More than anything, um, I think it's, it's just those moments when we realize how powerful making even the smallest of changes can be, you know, that you get one email in from one customer who says, I, here's my personal situation and why I'm struggling to use technology and what it would do for me if I could. And taking those moments and turning them into something that could be a whole new revolutionary type of assistive technology. You know, it, it, it's really paying attention and being thoughtful and trying to, to do right. And so I think, um, you know, there there isn't necessarily a single here's that moment story. Um, it's it's more been a, a just a, a lot of little moments along the way that have gotten us to where we are. Well, let's talk about some of the exciting things that we're here
0: to look at this week. Accessibility is having a great week at WWDC. I'm sure you would agree with that. I mean, there's so much uh, from the main stage. We saw a lot at the keynote. We saw more at the State of the Union yesterday. And I guess I'd just love to talk about some of the new features. And why
1: don't we start with voice control? Because that's the biggest brand new feature for accessibility. Um, So voice control is a a new uh, feature that we came out with this year on both macOS and iOS. Um, it is a way to control both the Mac and iOS devices, iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, using just your voice. Um, and so that would involve, uh, you know, all of the the navigation, the how you interact with your device, as well as text input. I'd love to know something about how it works now. And, and I also should say,
0: there there is an old iPhone feature voice control that was a precursor to Siri that would let you make phone calls. And so I, I assume that that was, is, uh, either gone or named something else. Or <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. This is sort of the 2.0. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it is a, uh, it, it's sort of 2.0 on steroids. Sure. It's, um, a much, uh, more robust, uh, in you know, a full featured way to be able to use your device. So
0: how for a, a real sort of top level, uh, do, would somebody interact with voice control and tell it the things that it needs to know in order to obey commands?
1: Yeah. Well, so it's built to be very intuitive. I, once you turn it on, um, you can, uh, you know, starting with just, well, it is woken up at the start, so you can either put it to sleep or wake it up as needed to ensure that if there's a moment where, say, someone comes into the room and you want to carry on a conversation with someone else, you have control over whether it's running or not. Um, but once you, you know, turn it on, Uh, You're basically able to do all of the things with your device that you would do using, um, for example, touch on iOS um, or a mouse or trackpad um, on the Mac. And um, so the idea would be, you know, being able to open applications, being able to navigate to items, um, scroll through pages. So any of those kinds of things that um, you would do with your devices, you can do via commands um, and then being able to seamlessly transition to uh, dictation. So, for example, if you are in Pages or TextEdit or a, you know a, a, any kind of a text app, um, being able to, uh, for example, in Pages, to open Pages, to create a new blank document, to dictate information into that document, um, and use it just like you would anything else. Does it depend on an app supporting voice control, or can I say open... Chrome
0: or open some other non-native app, non-Apple app?
1: Well, so the way that it's built, we've added in a couple of, of features um, involving showing numbers and showing a grid across the entire screen of both um, the Mac or an iOS device, which gives you um, full access to any kind of quadrant on the on the device. So, for example, if you're on the home screen of your, uh, our homepage of your, uh, sorry, you know, on, on your screen of your Mac, um, you can get to any of your files that might be, um, there just by being able to use that grid to drill in onto a certain area and, and be able to click on a specific, uh, app icon or a, uh, you know, or on a file name, whatever it might be a folder. Um, but, Uh, so from that perspective if you were for example in an app you could use that grid to be able to get to any area in that app so it kind of does give you a baseline of full um access but we do use the accessibility api as our main means to be able to um, you know give access for voiceover for switch control and now for voice control so Um, In that way, if an app developer does use that API to make their app accessible, it just expands what one can do. So, for example, with that show numbers feature, um, it's looking for any element on the screen that it can um, properly sort of associate it as its own thing. So if you said show numbers on, say, a web page, it would give you any of the links, any of the clickable items as a number that you can just then say... um, you know, tap 20 or click 20 or whatever it might be, depending on the um, the device. And so the more someone does actually work to make their app accessible, the better the experience will be. But we also wanted to make sure that there are ways that just right out of the box, we could help overcome limitations and make something more accessible.
0: So generally speaking, if your voiceover is switch control compatible, you're going to be able to talk to voice control or voice as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of those same basic... Kind of accessibility rules and regs that we ask any developer to do uh, around labeling buttons and um, making sure that things are, uh, you know, track in a, um, a, a way that makes sense to someone using assistive technology. Those same things apply for voice control as they do for voiceover or for switch control. So um, we really wanted to make sure that it was a way that if you just use that one API you're really benefiting as wide a group of users as we could possibly get
0: now i'm sure a lot of voice control people users will be people who have motor delays or somehow otherwise
1: are not comfortable using the keyboard or mouse how does voice control work with voiceover well at this stage voice control has been built as a feature to support limited physical motor um so that really is the sweet spot that we're uh, focused on at this stage but you know one of the things that we've seen with all of our our technology our assistive technology is um as time goes by looking to improve upon how one thing might work in conjunction with another so i think there's there's room to grow um but we're really looking at you know or or the the audience that we looked to solve for in this case was um those with physical motor limitations. It's a good place
0: to start, but I am sure that a lot of voiceover users or even people with low vision who aren't necessarily voiceover users could get a lot out of it. So I I look forward to those developments. So let's talk about dark mode. So we have smart invert colors and a lot of the people in the mainstream uh, community are super excited about dark mode, which looks a lot like smart invert colors to me. So I guess I'm wondering what kind of overlap there is and what A person who is using smart invert colors now might gain from dark mode in ios
1: i think this falls into one of those areas where customization is really something that's important to us that we give people options for um, what would work for their personal needs so i think people who are smart invert colors users should try dark mode and see how, you know, what value it does bring to them. I think, um, you know, they're, they're, they are, I would say siblings in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's really going to be about personal preferences to whether people decide one of them is a better solution for their personal needs. And I guess I wonder from a development
0: standpoint, whether smart and our will benefit from people being focused on putting dark mode support in their apps
1: yeah i mean certainly it's something that um we have worked with the developers along the way to make sure that uh in using smart invert colors that they are um being good accessibility citizens out there and and so that we can um do or make smart invert colors work the way we uh we want it to and and do that smart inversion um, so I think as people are, yes, as we bring more attention to the idea of dark mode, um, that hopefully it will help people to put a little bit more energy into this area.
0: Is there a difference between Smart Invert and dark mode just that, that you can call out? Or is it just going to be a matter of how it looks to an individual? Or? Um, I, I think it's a little bit more the latter. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. So do you know whether all of the uh, Apple apps that ship on devices are going to be dark mode ready when ios ships
1: um good question i am not i'm not sure I that about me a little bit out
0: of your realm but i thought i'd try <laughs> yeah
1: um there are so many different things that ship on there I, I know intent is always to make sure that um we are across the board on everything but um you know if, if something doesn't uh doesn't get into every nook and cranny yeah, you know, we'll keep working on it sure So um, at the State of the Union, I
0: discovered a couple things that really surprised and and just made me happy on a personal level. And one is that accessibility is moving to the top level of iOS settings. Yeah. Uh, At at the very beginning, it was at the bottom of General, and then it moved to the top of General, and now it's at the top. Um, I I guess I wonder how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, we're we're really excited about it. Um, I think one of the things that just as a company in general that we believe about the accessibility features is that they can benefit everyone and that we want more and more people to know that they're there so that, um, you know, whether someone self-identifies as having a disability or not, that they get the value of being able to, to use those features. Um, one of the other really cool things is it's being brought into the, the setup experience as well. So not even just. Um, having it higher up in settings and, and easier to find, but that as you get a brand new device and you start to go through that setup process, that you can access more of the accessibility features right from the start um, and get those going on your devices you know, before you even move through all the elements to, to set that device up. That's exciting
0: for me because I can use voiceover and have to set things up, but my preference would be smart invert colors, and I'm sure switch control users would like to be able to use that as well, so. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, I, uh, going along the iOS uh, track, I wonder if uh, Memojis, which was, there was a lot of talk about in the keynote yesterday, are we going to get all of the uh, labels for all those uh, decorations and fancy, fancy new emotions, accessibility labels?
1: Um, I, the team is always working on making sure that emojis are uh, well Very documented. Stuff. So,
0: <laughs> yes, there are an awful lot of people I know who who love those things and care a lot about.
1: Yeah. One of the, the other things I'm excited for is, uh, you know, we had a proposal last year with Unicode, the um, emoji, the, the larger emoji sort of consortium, uh, the global consortium to get disability emojis added and so i'm excited to see those come to fruition later on this year
0: also in so2 yesterday we saw text recognition and i didn't really get a sense of whether that was going to be a developer developer feature so in other words uh, you could scan an image that had text in it and it could be read and i'm not sure whether that's a developer only thing or whether that's going to be put into apps or their users are going to see that
1: Certainly uh, from a voiceover perspective, there's been some text recognition that's gone on in images thus far. Um, there's also an element around um, just trying to solve for some of the the problems that, uh, you know, if, if a developer doesn't label something properly, that um, we're looking to try and do more to make sure that um, that we, if we can through machine learning determine what something might be, that we surface that for um, our users of VoiceOver so that they they get more information. Um, you know, even if an app would be otherwise kind of seen as being inaccessible, that we can try and do as much as we can to help um, push that along. Well, that's really interesting. Is that going to be
0: an iOS 13? That... Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't wait to try that. So, talk about iPad OS. I, I guess I'd just rather hear like your spiel on what the new gestures mean and also the mouse support uh mean for accessibility
1: um yeah well so the uh, the mouse support is not actually just even ipad it's uh ios in general and um really excited about uh kind of adding in bluetooth and uh some of the usb based mouse support for once again for individuals with um, physical motor limitations Um, You know, we've we've added in that mouse support as a a standard feature now in assistive touch. And, you know, the idea of assistive touch in general was to um, provide access for individuals who might have some dexterity, but not uh, not full dexterity. So it could be someone who only has one access point, you know, just uses a finger, a single finger to be able to interact with the device, or in this case, with adding mouse support, it's Um, For individuals who use assistive technology, it could be a joystick or a mouse of some sort as really their only means of being able to interact with the device. So, um, you know, we've had um, mouse support through the MFI program in the past. Um, but this really sort of open thing, opens things up more for more devices to, um, to be able to help those who otherwise wouldn't have access to a touchscreen device.
0: And is that going to need to be a USB-C compatible iPad or are there going to be lightning to USB dongle opp- opportunities or do you know?
1: Um, I, that I don't know off the top of my head.
0: Okay. Another thing that's coming to Siri is the, the natural voice of a more natural sounding speech. I wonder if that's going to be applied to a voiceover as well or will that just be a Siri thing?
1: Um, well, so with the Siri voices available to voiceover right. users, and now we've actually even added the Siri voice to the Mac, so as a voiceover option. Um, so uh, people will be able to take advantage of that new Siri voice.
0: Okay, so so having that voice is going to give the natural sound that was being demonstrated yesterday, the, the more realistic well, sounding the speech impro- pattern.
1: Yeah, the improvements that are in uh, the new Siri voice I think, you know, certainly will also, because that Siri voice isn't available as a voiceover voice over voice will be available.
0: Now we get into the rapid fire portion of the program again. <laughs> uh, so Catalyst was talked about yesterday as a means to develop on one platform and then move your apps to other platforms. And there was a little bit of conversation about the accessibility implications and that you would be able as a developer to basically check a checkbox and then get some accessibility benefits. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how that works and whether that's something you guys have been working with in practice and seen apps move from one platform to another and retain their accessibility uh, features?
1: Well, yeah, the, um, the idea is that in building it on one platform, you're able to get the functionality on the other platform in the same way. And so certainly as, as someone is using the accessibility API to make an app accessible on iOS, the idea is that it would be able to um, come over to the Mac as well and, and um, keep a lot of that functionality. Now, the only there are a
0: couple of uh, watch things that were related to accessibility. I, I think a lot of people will be excited about the haptic chimes uh, on the hour. And then also uh, audiobooks, people who are voiceover users are, are big audiobooks fans. And I guess I just want to clear up, is that going to be uh, for Apple Books
1: purchased books only, or will people be able to bring other books into that app? Um, that's something we'd have to check with the books team, as it's not specifically an accessibility Question. Got it. I'm not trying to stump you. I promise.
0: <laughs> um, and a couple questions I got from uh, users and, and friends of the show about uh, TV Plus and TV OS, I guess more TV Plus. And people are really excited about the content and they're wondering about audio description for Apple original content. Do you know
1: if that's coming to all or some of the programs? I think we're gonna have to uh, answer that when things come out this fall. There haven't been too many announcements that have been made about Apple TV Plus yet. So um, I think we're gonna have more to talk about that once we actually um, get some of those programs up and running.
0: And uh, something I benefited from yesterday was that the keynote was audio described for those of us that were in the audience. And I very much appreciated that. And some of my friends who are watching the stream
1: wondered whether it was possible that would come to the stream as well. That, I think, is a time will tell kind of a thing as well. Um, certainly, we have been running audio descriptions in the room for uh, a number of years now. So if you are live in uh, the audience, you get them there. And then we have them up afterwards as quickly as possible on uh, Apple.com. So. There was a lot of talk yesterday
0: about AR, uh, mostly from a developer's point of view, obviously. And I guess I'm wondering if anything is going on in the accessibility team that we need to know about as far as either AR experiences that are oriented toward accessibility or attempts to make AR experiences in general uh, more accessible? How, how do those two connect?
1: Well, yeah, there's I think there's some really great opportunity that AR brings for accessibility, and um, we are looking, you know, always certainly at working with the teams to figure out how um, we make them more accessible across a wide range of accessibilities. So, um, you know, certainly we'll, we'll see how people... Choose to use assist, or, uh, augmented reality. Um, you know, even for us at the Apple uh, Visitor Center at Apple Park, there is an augmented reality experience that has been built to be voiceover compatible. Um, you know, we we definitely like to uh, lead the charge in letting people understand what can be done.
0: Yeah, I think people see AR as both a big unknown and an opportunity, and so I'm, I'm always curious because, and it also it feels like. Accessibility is not necessarily something that you hear about until, you know, an app is out there in the world as far as AR goes. So I look forward to hearing more. So, so what have I missed? We've gone through a long list, but I'm sure there's some things out there that, about accessibility uh, coming to any of the platforms that I probably haven't gotten to.
1: Yeah, well, there are a lot of, of great features this year across the board. I mean, in every operating system, there's some amazing things that um, the team has been working on. You know, I'm really excited on the Mac for some of the features that have been brought in for the low vision community, which range, um, you know, everything from hover text, which is a great new experience to bring um, large type uh, over to uh, the Mac in a format that really I think fits the Mac well. Um, the idea is that as you are hovering over any specific text on the screen, so um, it, you know, imagine it could even be, you know, doc. Uh, names or um, menus or things like that, where um, by uh, holding down the command key, you can have those elements, um, you know, zoomed in. And uh, so it becomes a a much higher font size um, all the way up to 128 point. And you can choose the font that you want and you can choose different colors if you want um, a a different contrast level within the, the text itself, by having the feature of, um, you know, speak items under the the pointer as an option um, on the Mac, you can therefore get that verbal reinforcement as well um, and have it spoken out to you. So some really great things that are available in, um, in Hover text that I think people are really going to enjoy Um, we've also added in the the color filters that are available on iOS are now available on the Mac as well so whether those be filters for um, different types of color blindness or um, or the the general color tint um, across the entire screen um, some really great things that we've done there we've also added in a feature called zoom display which allows you to um, if you're a multi display user for your Mac um, to be able to have one zoomed in while the other one stays at its uh, regular size, which can be really beneficial for, you know, if someone who's presenting and they want the audience to see everything as they um, as, as they originally built it on a, a keynote slide. Um, but be able to zoom in on elements on their own screen so that they have a better way to be able to see things. Um you know, really excited on the watch. Some of the other things that we've done around uh, the the noise app and being able to help support hearing health. Um, And in tvOS, um, a a lot we've done in terms of Zoom, redesigning Zoom and and making it an easier um, experience to be able to control and navigate uh, a tvOS, your Apple TV. So um, it's just some really great things across the board that we've been working on beyond voice control. We're really excited for this year.
0: I I have to smile because the... The features you're talking about on the Mac, the, the zoom and the display uh, specific zoom, I, I feel like you've been sitting over my shoulder, looking at my desk and how I work because <laughs> I, I expect to be using those every single day. So I'm looking forward to that. Great, great. Uh, so so what? Uh, I I know you're not going to announce anything coming in, but what what are you looking forward to in accessibility? And then we have to, we have a very short amount of time, but uh, just tell me like what uh, what are you excited about? What's what's happening that is is great?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is is the opportunity to look at some of these great consumer um, things that have come up over the last couple of years, whether that be uh, augmented reality or, you know, where machine learning is going, things like that, that are um, that have such great applicability for accessibility and where we can really keep looking at things that would normally be seen as, as very consumer focused and how the communities can benefit from and how you can make those things accessible. Um, You know, as more and more uh, companies even beyond Apple have started looking at building accessibility and across the board, I think that's a a real benefit for all of our communities and and really helps everyone. So I'm excited to see where we go from here. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you doing this.
0: Absolutely. Have a great rest of WWDC. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Sarah Herlinger and the folks at Apple who made this interview possible. It was a lot of fun, and I learned so much from Sarah and also from my days spent at WWDC. There was a whole lot going on with accessibility and, of course, with Apple in general. WWDC is always a great time, and there are a number of great podcasts here on Relay FM where our hosts talk to. Apple people at WWDC, as well as amongst themselves about everything that happened. So if you care about Apple at all, check out some other Relay shows on the network. If you want to follow this podcast, you can go to relay.fm parallel. You can follow me on Twitter at Parallel Pods for updates on the show, or you can follow me personally at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Parallel, and maybe even sooner with 36 seconds that changed everything.